Satan. Have you ever had the feeling that it's us against the world? Have you? Well, I've certainly had the feeling that it's me against the world. It's us and them. Yeah, there are times, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know, you know, when you have just come back from an extended trip to the Antipodes, when you have traveled the route of Marco Polo, more or less, it is very difficult to become retuned to the atmosphere, the zeitgeist from whence you have sprung. And uh, <laughs> uh, people keep, uh, keep writing and they say, uh, tell us more about your trip. Uh, and, you know, the things that you're supposed to talk about just ain't. Uh, people, uh, when, I think the idea of travel is far more exciting than traveling. Uh, I think the, the, the concept of going to a foreign country, of being part of a foreign scene, of seeing this alien horizon is far more exciting than actually seeing it. Actually being in, say, the waiting room at the airport in Cairo. Now, how do you think that would be? How do you see it? Well, I'll tell you one thing that you see immediately. There is case on case of the same kind of junk that you see in these two-bit souvenir shops on 6th Avenue. And it looks like the same guys are selling it. They've got that same look in the eye. And so there you are in historic ancient Egypt with the pyramids just, you know, just hanging over and casting a long shadow. And there you are drinking a lukewarm Pepsi-Cola. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is, how do you, how do you relate? I mean, how do you, how do you bring all these, these concepts? It's like going to the land of Oz and you arrive there in the Emerald City and your feet hurt. It's just not the way it should be. Or it starts to rain in the land of the munchkins. And it's really raining. No, it doesn't rain in Egypt. That's right. It does other things. It doesn't rain water. There's other stuff that comes down. However, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, uh, I had a peculiar experience. And uh, it's the kind of experience, really, you don't know quite how to evaluate. Uh, after having traveled halfway around the globe and back again. Now, I am in a hotel. I'm there with this friend of mine, this this guy who was traveling with me, who, uh, incidentally, you've, you've always heard of people who have hang-ups, who like to go to museums. Every town they go to, they got to go to all the museums immediately or look at all the statues or go to the bars. I've, I've been with that type. Immediately they look for a bar. Well, this guy was hung on stationary stores. I have never seen I have never seen a guy who mainlined paper clips in my life. And uh, he he would stand in front of uh, at three o'clock in the morning. He'd look in at the the windows of stationery stores in Bangkok, and it put yeah. Can you imagine in Bangkok? Look at that stationery store. Oh, stop, stop, wait, hold, stop everything. And you're on your way to the great temple of Buddha, and we have to spend twenty minutes among the blotters. And the uh, yeah, and they're the same blotters that you get down here at the at Woolworths. And what's funny about it is he buys stuff in every one of them, the same stuff. I, I don't know, you know. So so you gotta you gotta know you gotta understand that man. Every man you meet has got a hang up. There's some so you know, 
I knew I knew some people, you know, I knew a guy who had a, an underwear hang-up. Everywhere he went, he bought underwear. Uh, now, we could get Freudian about this and uh, go on and on, but I'm not here to do that at this hour. But I will say that, that this experience, you want to hear about the wild experience in Manly, Australia? Manly, Australia, you know, uh, <laughs> you hear about that, you know. Manly is a, is a kind of suburb of Sydney, and... Uh, it's bounded on the on the left by all these little suburban houses, and on the right by a solid phalanx of sharks. Uh, the, you know, and they won't talk about it. I I, I talked to the to the man who was running the hotel there, and he's a big jovial Babbitt type. You can meet him if you can if you can imagine a a a, a combination of uh, of Major Hoople, uh, a little Major Hoople there. A lot of George Follinsby Babbitt and just a little touch of Major Bose and throw in a little Ed Sullivan. And I think you'd have this guy. And there he is, a, a big, uh, heavy set guy, uh, and who was is to- totally in charge of the, of the, uh, of the Junior Chamber of Commerce world. You know, that kind of guy. And so I am standing uh, <laughs> in the lobby of his little hotel, and I am looking out at the sea, which is right across the road. And I see this little boat moving back and forth. And these, these guys, you could see on the, on the fantail of the boat, they're peering down in the water. And once in a while, you see one hitting and splashing stuff, and you see a big big flurry of activity, and then the boat goes, Row! and it roars ahead a little bit, and you hear, pew, pew, you hear shots. And I'm watching this, and I said to him, uh, what's the boat out there? It was about a block and a half out in the water. And he's, well, this is a little boat, that's all. Well, I could see that I was getting the Australian runaround, you know, this little boat that's going back and forth out there. And I said, come on, what is the boat? Uh, what, what, what are they doing out there? Oh, Bob, that's a shark patrol. Shark patrol. And they're out there fighting the sharks. And I said to him, well, do they ever get any sharks? Oh, I don't think so, actually. Oh, no, I don't believe I've got a shark out there for 20 years. And then I hear out there, I hear the sound of a burp gun going. You see, and they're just taking target practice. And then I see this giant fin cut through the water, the big splash of bubbling blood and a little <laughs> muffled yelling out there, and the little boat moves on. Well, that is one of the attitudes that the Australians have about that sea that surrounds them. There is one group of people who won't concede will not concede that those long gray things with that big spiky looking fin sticking out of the back are sharks. They just don't see them. Now, that's the kind of guy you are if you run a hotel there <laughs> and, and, uh, and you rent surfboards. Uh, by the way, it's nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing more exciting than to see a solid wall of sharks out there, shoulder to shoulder, to fin to fin, with their eyes shining brightly in anticipation, waiting for the morning crop of surfboarders to arrive. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I'm just telling you the truth. And they'll have a sign that'll say, "This beach for surfboarders only, except sharks." Uh, they, they. Uh, they don't now. Everybody hears about this net they've got out around Sydney to keep the sharks away. Well, that's only a part of the part of the beach, and this is the Tasman Sea. Isn't that a great thing? Uh, this the, the Tasman Sea, and I, I'm standing there in the morning, looking out over this this strange sea, this gray sea, this long sea that stretches on and on and on to the Antarctica, 
and it is it is peopled by this this great population of sharks. And then I see the the uh, the, the Australians walking around, and, and of course you have two kinds. One kind concedes, the other doesn't. Now the next day, I am talking to an Australian Airlines pilot, or the day before that actually, and uh, he was we were talking about sharks. And he said, sharks, he lives near there. He lives right on the beach. He said, sharks, he says, ah, they wouldn't get me near that water. They wouldn't get me near that water. And I said, uh, well, are they, are they really sharks out there? He said, ah, oh. let me tell you, an American came, an American came, uh, he was doing a magazine article, and he believed that sharks were very harmless. They did nothing, they were harmless. He said, well, he went on the water, and about five minutes later, he is out on the shore, could, you couldn't get him near the water. He said he had an idea that all you had to do was make a loud noise and they would go. Actually, the Australian sharks, you make a loud noise and they come. Want to see what's happening? Boom! They hit. They don't ask questions. Hit. He swooped like that. Half. You're gone. Well, I, I thought about that for a minute. And I says, well, there are two schools of thought here about the sharks. I think I'm going to vote for the first one. At the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I walked along the beach there, and I, I looked out at that water. And what's so funny about it? It looks like ordinary water. Well, uh, this guy, this this hotel in Manly, Australia. Now, now I don't know of many more esoteric places than uh, than to be found than in Manly, Australia. This is not American Touristville, I can assure you. Uh, in fact, it, it's the kind of place, uh, I guess it's sort of like an Australian Sheep's Head Bay. Uh, it really is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to describe it. It's not really a big-time resort. It's a seedy resort. It's uh, vaguely 1920s. Uh, you, you get, you get the, the, the feeling of, re, of, of Escott Fitzgerald, you know. Uh, there's the feeling of, of decayed old ladies in flower print dresses. Uh, and and the main street is a is a little palm lined street just lined up with one one shop after the other selling uh, postcards you know the kind of postcards yeah, and and you'll find this is pretty universal there's only one writer that I've ever read who has written about the subject of the vaguely obscene greeting card you know the obscene greeting card the kind with the little toilets and all that stuff on them. You've seen the obscene greeting cards. That, that kind. Now, I'm not talking about the dirty picture greeting card. I'm talking about the, the borderline outhouse humor uh, greeting card. You, you buy those in Australia, and the Australians send them to each other, and they think they're very funny, just like they do in Atlantic City, like they do in Teaneck, uh, just like they do it in, in Brighton in, in England. The same cards are being sent. They just change the name on the bottom. Instead of Brighton, they write Manly Beach, Australia. Uh, it must be turned out by some giant firm run by some giant uh, Fu Manchu of pornography. He, you know, he's got world headquarters and he sends it all out. So, yeah, I'm walking along the street there. I'm digging this little town. And uh, there's old duffers all over the place uh, fishing with uh, little lines they've got thrown in. And, and uh, one thing I will remember always about about Sydney and about that whole area of, uh, of Australia, it's Steamboatville. Steamboats. Little steamboats all over the place. Little tiny ones, as my friend says, ordinary boats. Uh, they're steam, <laughs> they're steamboats, normal boats, uh, they're, and they're red and yellow and green. There are all kinds of little steamboats and water everywhere. You know, Sydney is almost all water. There are the hundreds of inlets and bays, 
And so everybody, millions of people go to work by boats. Uh, they take boats uh, the way we take subways here. Little, little putt-putt boats all over the bay and all over the inlet and the harbor and so on. And so I am in this little place called Manly. Now, now remember, this is not the middle of Sydney, Australia. And so that night in the hotel, they had a giant discotheque session. Well, I cannot describe to you uh, this scene because I, I have seen the discotheque scene in Paris. I have watched them twist in, in uh, Amsterdam, where there's a certain maniacal quality due to the fact the sea is liable to get them all any minute now. They've got a certain madness going there. Uh, I have seen them. Uh, I have seen them overturn buses in Edinburgh when the Beatles uh, had touched off the scene there. But I have never seen anything quite as peculiarly mechanistic and animalistic as the scene in this hotel in Manly, Australia, with about 150 people, just people doing a, a rock and roll kind of dance. It wasn't the Frug, it wasn't the Watusi, it was an Australian version. And and here they here they were jammed. There must have been 150 of them jammed into this tiny square, all pushed together, all completely completely com compact. You know, our our twist scene is very exhibitionistic. People want to be seen doing this, you know. You go to the discotheque thing and there's always pictures of Sybil Burton and all these people. They always want to be seen doing it. It is impossible to see an Australian doing what the Australians do because it's like an ant colony. Yeah, they're all pressed together and the beat is going... It's pure rock and roll. And they're moving. The whole group is like a postage stamp of people just undulating. And, and totally blank expressions on the faces. And they're all jammed together not more than six or seven inches apart. Nobody can see anybody else. And it's impossible to even tell one human being from the other. It is not exhibitionistic. I don't know what quite it is. And so <laughs> I'm standing there watching this, feeling completely like a foreigner. Completely. And beer, I, I suspect that Australia is the greatest beer-drinking country in the world. And that includes Germany. That includes all the other countries where they're famous for beer. These, th this is maniacal. In fact, they are heavy drinkers all the way down the line. And, and even the Australians themselves talk about it and admit it. Uh, it's the kind of on-the-beach atmosphere. You know, they all figure uh, it is. Uh, they're, they're so far removed from the rest of the civil... They, they sit around and, 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 and creature pleasures are the only thing that count pretty much in Australia. Uh, it's, all, it's all very physical. It's swimming. You, you, if you're not a swimmer, you better be a surfboarder. And if you're not a surfboarder, you better play tennis. And if you don't play tennis, you better play cricket or soccer or, or deep sea fish or whatever it might be. That's it's all physical in the yard wide. And so here this here this music is going and and the bar is in the back. They had a bar that must have been thirty five feet long. Now I have never seen beer served like this. Listen to the way they serve beer. They they had glasses on the top of the bar. There must have been 200 glasses, or maybe even 500. There were just row on row of empty glasses, and there were two barmaids filling the beer glasses with beer guns. They did not fill it with spigots. It was, they were selling so much beer that they had like hoses. There were shh, 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 
chair running up and down. And as they would fill each row, a waiter would come up with a giant tray, and they just load about 50 of these big schooners of beer, and off he would go into this wild, insane mob. And they're yelling and hollering, drinking a beer, and, and the beer guns are going, shh, 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 shh. I never have seen it done, even in Germany. I have not seen it served like that with the beer guns. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this, this could be called mainlining beer. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain, speaking of, uh, speaking of the maniacal, this is WOR AM at FM New York. Would you please hit the money button, Don? Here's Ralph Harris for McLean's. It's McLean's, the toothpaste that cleans with a new kind of taste that's wild. Yeah, 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 what a taste, what a zing. When you smile, all the bells will ring. Get them white, start tonight with McLean's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, isn't it time you tried the swinging new toothpaste that gets teeth irresistibly white? McLean's has a taste that's so lively, so dazzling, that you can actually feel it whitening. Your whole mouth feels refreshed and invigorated. Come on now, you try new McLean's. You'll dig it. It's McLean's, the toothpaste that cleans with a new kind of taste that's wild. Yeah, 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 what a taste. What a zing. <laughs> when you smile, all the bells will ring. Get them wiped, stop tonight with McLean's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still using that sweet kid stuff? Man, when will the madness ever end? When will the madness ever end? Speaking of madness, you have another one in there for me? You got a good thing going. Light up a Kent for real good taste. Light up a Kent, you got a good thing going. Good tobacco, the Kent filter for good taste going when you light up a Kent. Light up a Kent, and you've got a good thing going. Good taste. The mild, mellow taste of Kent's vintage tobaccos, flavor blended for good taste. And the Kent filter for extra good taste. Light up the Kent, you've got a good thing going. Light up the Kent, for real good taste. Light up the Kent, you've got a good thing going. Good tobacco, the Kent filter for good taste going. When you light up the Kent, you've got a good thing going. When you light up the Kent, light up the Kent. By the way, you should see Goldfinger written in the Thai language. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you ought to see their, their, uh, their translation of Pussy Galore. It's a very interesting world over there. But uh, nevertheless, you want to hear more about Australia? You know, this, uh, that's a country you, you don't hear much about. And uh, I can only say that uh, it, it didn't look at all the way I thought it was supposed to look. I don't, I don't see Sydney with palm trees, or I didn't before I went there. You just don't. Uh, you don't see Sydney with the hills the way it is. And to me, Sydney was more interesting looking than I thought it would be. I was, I was vastly surprised. Uh, before I went there, I was kind of, eh, you know. Eh, all right, uh, just another city. But Sydney is not just another city. It's a peculiar, strange kind of an island you you have the feeling that sydney and and there is a sense of being on an island you know in sydney itself because things are so far apart in australia 
They're a good four or five hundred miles away from Melbourne, which is the next big city. And uh, what is near them? The boondocks. Now, all you got to do is get in your car and travel about three hours, and you are in the big woods. Now, uh, it isn't heavily wooded. You're in, in what they call the outback, uh, which is a peculiar combination of desert, hell. Uh, there's a little touch of, uh, of a bad uh, nightmare involved in it. It's scrubby, it's dark, and it's, uh, it's there, you know. Well, now, here I am in, in Manly. Now, the first thing that, that I think has to be said about uh, most of Australia is that you have a vague feeling that somewhere along the line, the clocks have gone wrong, that uh, the rest of the world, for better or for ill, is part of the 20th century. It's, you know, you go to London, it's 1965 in London. You go to Spain, it's 1965 in most of Spain. Uh, you go to uh, Paris, it's certainly 1965. But you go to Sydney, and you have a vague feeling that it's about 1936. It's very peculiar. Even the, the way they, they dress, there's a certain dowdiness of dress. Uh, there's a certain innocent look in the eye. And that's something that, that you note right away. That look in the eye. Have you ever looked at old pictures of the 20s? You look at pictures of, of soldiers of World War One. There's a different look in their face because the things that change the human outlook, you know, the little, the, the, the mirror behind the eye, the things that have happened to all these people have created a look. Well, we are 1965 people. We really are here in, in New York, and we have the look of 1965. We're part of the stresses, the wild uh, urban existence the kind of make-out world. You see it in Frankfurt. You see those strained looks of people walking around the streets in Frankfurt. Yeah, you do. You know, it's there. It's not necessarily strained. It's the look of our time. There's a kind of, you know, the look. Uh, the sunglasses. Uh, the way the collar fits. Uh, yeah, it's all there. It's, it's 1965. You go to, you go to, uh, to Australia, and suddenly you feel like you yourself are a shark among uh, a whole, uh, uh, a bowl full of, of goldfish that they don't know. <laughs> they just don't know. And you're with the hippest people in, in, uh, in this country, and they haven't read. Uh, the, the art has barely touched them. Uh, Freud, they don't know from. You know, Freud. Uh, that the, they laugh about analysts. There's, I think there's two analysts in all of Sydney, Australia, and they are stamp collectors or something. They're not. They're not getting any business. It's a fact. They just don't have them there. That all of the things that are part of our world are just beginning to seep in, and not, they're kind of a joke there now. They'll laugh about an analyst. Remember the the, the guy laughing? They, they, they this kook doctor. It's ridiculous. And, and the relationship, you can see the relationship between men and women is an earlier kind of relationship. Believe me, in Australia, the men are men and the women are women. And they really mean it. Uh, they, they don't allow women to vote, you know. Did you know that? Women do not vote in Australia. <laughs> that throws all the chicks. What do you mean? And they don't, they're not even allowed to talk much in Australia. 
And uh, I've had women uh, sit there and talk to me by the hour about this in, in Australia. They want to strangle all the men around. Uh, <laughs> and, and there you are. You're, you're, you, you don't know quite how to handle it because you're suddenly thrown back in a very much earlier world. It's a very, very simple world. Uh, their idea of a big time is to run around the track and to take a couple of deep breathing exercises, you know, that kind of stuff. The kind of thing that, that you, uh, you, you feel that the Babbitts of the 1920s must have done. You know, go to the beach, uh, have a big time, and, and uh, walk around on the boardwalk. and That's considered really the ultimate of what you can do. And so the boardwalk is still king throughout Australia, just the way many years ago in America the boardwalk was a big thing. You know, the boardwalks are dying all over all over the country. You know, the, the boardwalk at, at Coney Island is practically a dead issue with the, with the amusement park and the zoo and, and uh, the dartboard game and the, the Ferris wheel and all that. Australia, this is still a very big issue. And so you have a feeling that you're back in another time just instantly. And you, 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 you say, you know, to yourself. And this, by the way, is very attractive to people from other parts of the world. It's a simpler world. Uh, they don't talk much about the world situation. You, you pick up a copy of, a, of an Australian newspaper, and the whole front page will be about a big race that's going to be tomorrow. The whole front page is about the race. The front page. And way back on page 38, there will be a little piece that says, uh, uh, atom bomb dropped on Kremlin. Uh, <laughs> it's back on page 38. It is reported. Uh, it's a, you, you get that curious feeling of, of, of having dropped out of the universe, that you are now on some other planet, and you must accept it that way. And so I am in the middle of the dance hall there and watching, watching the rock and roll dancers there in Manly. It's about 11 o'clock or something, and they're beginning to break up. Maybe it's a little later, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And so I decide to go out for a walk, and this is where the eerie experience began to develop. I go out for a walk by myself, and I'm walking along this street, and I'm, I'm trying to look at things, you know, trying to get my mind off of just being there and, and to trying to get a little oriented. And I'm walking along a street with, with palm trees. It had a, it had a, a long, narrow uh, sort of an avenue in the middle. It was a two-way street, but separated by a park. and had a little, little palm trees, and I'm walking along all by myself, and I go past what is the Australian, or at least the manly Australia, version of a JD crowd. You know, they're standing there saying, oh, heck, you know, doing stuff like that. They're saying, oh, boy, oh, boy, wow. You know, and, and uh, it's very hard, you know, when you come from a basically tough, rock-bound, Protestant, Baptist family to try to make the Lower West Side scene. You know, they, they've, they've gotten a lot of pictures of JDs from Hollywood movies, but they don't quite make it. I mean, it's like seeing a vaguely debauched Boy Scout. You know, and his idea of a debauchery is three hamburgers instead of two. And so uh, I'm, I'm walking along the street there, and it's dark. It's one, two o'clock in the morning. And suddenly I hear this voice. Hey, Shep, it's called Nazi. And it's my friend. It's the guy that I'm there with. I see him across in the darkness there. And he's with a couple of other people. Well, I, I, uh, I look across there, and I figure, you know, some friends he's picked up at the hotel or something. So I cut across, and there I am face to face. I have come all the way to Manly, Australia. I, it is, I just can't help it. I can see the look in the eye. I am face to face with two listeners. 
<laughs> I've come all the way to Australia. And I mean, listeners, here they are. They go, hey, Shep, I always wanted to meet you. Holy crying out loud. Put it there, boy. And he grabs me. He's tight. Seven sheets to the wind. Last week, I'm sitting there listening to the radio, and I heard you talk about going to Australia. I George, we never thought we'd run into you here. Now, I'll tell you what's wrong with your show. What you gotta do, now, you, let's tell them more stuff about when you was a kid, see? I was talking to Elizabeth. Hey, don't want I tell you, Elizabeth? Oh, yeah, you know, you do a pretty good show. But I, there I am. I have come 15 million miles to the Antipodes. I am on the other side of the globe, and this listener is telling me how to do my show. I'll tell you, I said, Elizabeth, what you ought to do is tell more army stories. Well, I said, now, wait a minute. Easy, listener, hold it. I'll tell you what you do. You do that on your show. Okay? What do you mean? I, I just want a little helpful criticism here. I said, well, i got to get to bed. And I wandered off into the darkness. And they wandered off into their direction. And I imagine even to this day, there is a myth growing in their family about how they met Shepard in Manly, Australia. And I'll bet they don't believe they did. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, <laughs> these are these are things that happen when you're traveling. Uh, the things that that it just aren't reported in travel books. Uh, for example, I'll just give you one little vignette of the kind of thing that just you just don't see in travel books. You 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 don't imagine happens, or you can't imagine the real things that happen to you. You could not write in a movie. People would laugh at you, say ridiculous. I'm in a bus in Cologne. Now, get this scene. Now, Cologne is one of the most German of all cities. I mean, this is a really German city. And this is a little bus, one of those little buses that take you around from the, from the airport. It takes you in, you know, and they've got the little glass top. And they, the German buses are much more intimate than the buses in America or in, in many other big cities. They're little seats, and they're all close together, and there's a kind of clubby atmosphere in these things. And so I'm sitting in the seat... And down the aisle comes this Bavarian. Now, I'm telling you, he's a real Bavarian. He's got the lederhosen and the whole thing, you know, the little hat with the plume sticking up and the buttons all over that said he went to Garmisch. And, uh, you know, he went to Garmisch Partenkirchen once, and he's got the little button, and, and he's got the red face and the whole scene. And he comes down, and he sits it right in front of me, see? And there he is. He's got his big bag of Wiener Schnitzel and the whole business. He sits down at the... And I'm sitting behind him. I'm paying not too much attention to him because I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of them. And, and the, uh, the girl, you know, they, and many of the buses, uh, particularly connected with the airport, they have hostesses and things in Germany. And the girl comes down. She's picking the tickets up and stuff. And she comes along and she talks to the guy in Germany. They're talking away there. And uh, obviously, this is a real German. And so she turns and goes away. And there's a moment, pause, silence there. And I'm sitting there looking out of the window. And, we're waiting for the bus to go, and a couple of our people are getting out. It's very quiet now on the bus. These German buses are much quieter, as I said, than the Fifth Avenue bus. And all of a sudden, this guy starts to sing right ahead of me. What do you think he's singing? I, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I, I wouldn't have believed it had I not seen it. I'm raising my hand right here now. My right hand is raised to God. He starts to sing. He's And in, and in English, he says... Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the park. Buy me some peanuts on Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. I couldn't believe it. 
<laughs> you know, I wonder, hey man, what are you, a White Sox fan? What is it? <laughs> he immediately lapsed into low, lapsed into low German, and that's the last word of English I heard out of him. He sang two choruses of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" and tuned out. Well, now, uh, <laughs> if I wrote this in a movie, people would say it's ridiculous. This is far too pat. If I wrote it in a movie that I'm meeting a drunken listener on a street lined with palm trees outside of a rock and roll bar in Manly, Australia, and, and does he say he's surprised to see me? No. No. Does he say he's glad to see me? No. What does he say? Uh, I'll tell you, Shripper, what you ought to do on your show. You ought to tell him what. He came 9,000 miles to tell me what I ought to do on my show and where I'm going wrong. You have the little money button there, man. Let's hit the button there before we go all wrong here. Let's go. All set there. Your neighborhood tavern is the friendliest place in town. And during the month of May, taverns across the country are celebrating National Tavern Month. It's a great month to enjoy life. Get a bun on. So stop in at your favorite tavern and order Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Miller High Life has been a favorite refreshment in taverns for over a century. First brewed in a European castle and served a thirsty nobleman who threw bones back over the shoulder and hollered Evo. This year, Miller High Life celebrates 110 years of brewing excellence in America. Miller High Life, a frosty, cool glass of Miller High Life, will send you right down those rails. Dun, 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 dun. Just remember, we're Americans and we're not very sensitive. <laughs> Just the other people that are sensitive. Very sensitive. Don't get near them. They'll probably hit you in the mouth. Very sensitive people over there. Very sensitive. Uh, you want to hear more about Australia? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, gee, I don't know whether I have time. I've got a couple more commercials to do and I'll have to get them out of the way. I want to tell you about a trip to Lord Howe Island. Now, this, this, this is really a wild experience, a, a totally uh, peculiarly unique experience, and one which uh, I think will fester for some time. Now, I'm not going to sit here and play a banjo and a ukulele. I'm not going to sit here and say, ah, those were the days, what a beautiful, fantastic memory. I can think of that that strange beach at Lord Howe Island, and I'm standing up on top of a cliff with a pilot, a man who flies a, a flying boat, uh, an airline pilot, and we had just flown in in his flying boat, and he's, he's there in his captain's uniform, and he and I are looking down off of a cliff that must have been, oh, maybe... Uh, oh, maybe uh, six or seven hundred feet down, all the way down. And down there you could see that curving arc of a pure white sand beach. And there was that strange blue-gray water of the Tasman Sea. It's a coral island. And this captain is looking down there and he's saying to me, he says, you know, he says, there probably aren't five people a month come on this beach. Not more than five. And there's not a single footprint on the beach. And you can see a couple of palm trees off to the left hanging over there. 
and way off in the distance a storm cloud is building up. And off to the right is that ghostly, eerie-looking mountain that went 2,500 feet straight up in the air. And he says, you know, a school teacher was killed there last week, thought he could climb it. And we just stood there, and we are 500 or so miles off the coast of Australia, a lonely island. It is visited once a week by one airplane. And once every two months, one boat arrives and brings Life Boy soap. And, the, you know, John paper and things like that. A few little odds and ends, toothpicks and piccalilli and stuff like that that keeps them going. And on the island are 150 people. They allow no immigration. They allow nobody to come to live. And there they stay. And they, they date back to about the time of Pitcairn Island, just about that day. At the, I, 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 I think of this lady, this strange, uh, leathery-looking lady that when we came into the cabin uh, had laid down a bottle of scotch for us, uh, immediately thinking, of course, what we're going to do is come in and get soused. Apparently, this is what everybody does in Australia or at least in the islands. And she lays that bottle down and she says, you'll, you'll be having a drink, of course. I said, no, no, we don't, no, we don't drink. No, no, no drinks. She said, oh, Really? I said, yes. Well, now, in case you figured we weren't going to say anything about it, we were just going to drink it. She said, in case you want some, it's right there for you. They have an odd little accent, a little strange rolling kind of accent, which I don't reproduce too well, but it's close enough, you know. Now, I'll tell you about this tomorrow. I don't have time to tell you about Lord Howe Island. I will say this, though. It's probably the, the furthest out place where you could go for a holiday in the world this side of the Antarctic really is. There's nothing. You stand on that beach and look out, and there's nothing except water between you and the Antarctic. Boy, you're way down at the end of it all. And if, uh, if you're interested, get a map, uh, and just, just take a map, and, and tomorrow night we'll talk about this thing, and you'll see Sydney and, and go straight south of Sydney, roughly. Well, a little bit... Uh, a little east, yeah. A little southeast of Sydney, and you'll see a tiny dot. It's about 400 miles, and that's Lord Howe Island. And there's only one way to get there, and that's by flying boat. And this is the only commercial flying boat, the only commercially used, regularly scheduled airline flying boat in the world. These are World War II flying boats, ex-bombers, the old, uh, the old uh, Sunderland bomber. Uh, now called Sandringham, I believe is the name of it. They call them, and uh, and there they uh, there's two of them that just make that run back and forth. And oh, by the way, the reason uh, the reason why the same pilots have been on the run that same run for the last 12 or 15 years is because it's probably one of the most dangerous airline trips in the world. Uh, to come into that island is really like threading a needle in a high wind. And uh, <laughs> what a scary moment that was when that big flying boat... <laughs> a flying boat, you know, has a different sound than, the, than a jet plane or than a regular Super Connie or a DC-6. It's because of those pontoons hanging out there. And the great big hull, you know, it's, it's a two-deck plane. It has an upstairs in it, a great big fat hull. And she goes through the air about, oh, I'd say about 185, 190 miles. And it's quite slow. 
by present-day standards, but it has a peculiar rolling, steady, strange roar. And those wings flap, and you can see those those big old pontoons going up and down out there. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, without any warning, you see pop up below your wing down there that needle of island sticking up. We put that wing down, and he lays it down over the edge of the, right over the lip of the island, over a cliff. He hops over a cliff, not more. Yeah, he goes right in, and you're not more than maybe 50 or 60 feet off the ground. He lays it down over the jungle. You can see the jungle right down there below you. You can pick out individual trees. You can see little uh, Quonset huts, and you can see wash lines, and you see a couple of kids running around, natives that are naked. Wow, wow, wow. Then he lays that wing down. Wow, wow. He picks it up, and down goes the other wing, and he lays it right down in a tiny concealed harbor. What a landing. The only way to get in there. Holy smokes. Let's get some of these commercials out of the way. You want to hear more about this? Let's see. Why do nearly half of the young men and women entering college fail to complete their freshman year? Well, they're yucks. That's why. Just dumb klutzes. That's a good answer right there. Well, they claim that most college administrators agree that it's not lack of academic training, just no talent. Well, what can be done about the situation? Barrington Hills, a new and unique seminar in college preparation located in Barrington, New Hampshire, would like to give you the dope on that. So if you have a kid who's about to go to college, write to Barrington Hills, W-O-R, New York 18, and they will send you all the data, all the dope on it. So just uh, hang on. You know, now that I think about it, I'm pretty lucky getting back after running into that drunken listener. After running into the German that sang, take me out to the ball game. After being begged, literally on his knees, by a, 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 a Siamese, a Bangkok, Thailand alto player to come on up and play a couple of courses on my Jews harp in the Pennies from Heaven and How High the Moon. You know, I'm lucky I came. In fact, you're lucky I came back. I found out that I can work on a lot of gigs all around, <laughs> all around the world by George's room for a good Jews harp player in Bangkok. So keep your knees loose. It'll be all right. 